So, very warm welcome to you. Very warm welcome if you're online or whether you're in the building. It's lovely to have you guys with us. And we're in our Dangerous Faith series at the moment. Um, and I've got to admit, whenever I hear Mark say Dangerous Faith, I'm one of those people. And in my head, I've got like, a lot of things going on. And uh, I've got to admit that I do my best Bishop T.D. Jakes impression. I'm like, yes, dangerous faith that. And I get completely pumped out and I'm like, yeah, I want the devil to know my name. And when I get my foot out of bed in the morning, he's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, she's up. And I get super pumped and I'm like, come on, bring it on. Is anyone else like that? Just me? And I love how Mark has positioned these talks and giving us practicalities of being a people whose lives reflect those of a dangerous faith. And we've been looking at the seven aspects over the last few weeks, and we'll continue to do so. And they are, number one, dangerous faith will cost you, not enrich you. Number two, dangerous faith seeks to serve and save others, not ourselves. Three, dangerous faith sees the invisible and not rely on the visible. Dangerous faith seeks to bring glory to God and not bring a name for ourselves. You know, we want to be kingdom builders, not our own empire builders. Dangerous faith requires courage, not the path of least resistance, unfortunately. Dangerous faith is utterly dependent on God and not independent from him. And dangerous faith seeks a better home and not this one. So today we're going to be focusing on how dangerous faith requires courage, and not the path of the least resistance. But also how dangerous faith is utterly dependent on God and not separated or independent from him. So if you've missed any of those talks, then you can catch up on the website or the app. It's all on YouTube, and I'd highly recommend that you do that. So after I've got over my best T-Day Jake's dangerous faith, and I've been pumped, if I'm really honest, I then start thinking of all the ways God can't, won't or shouldn't use me. I think often we can be our own worst enemies and we often discount or disqualify ourselves from stepping out and living dangerously for him or for his glory. Or maybe we just get so caught up in our everyday mundane routine, I know I do, that we almost fall dormant like we're asleep to the call to live dangerously for him. Or we kind of want to do it, like I want to do it, Lord, but if it looks like this... I want to do that, God, if I kind of get something out of it. Just got to be a bit honest. And we have so many reasons why, don't we? I know that I've used many of these. I'm a bit of a pro at some of them, I've got to admit. We live under expectations. Uh, but yeah, but what would people think if I do that? You know, it's not really the, the, the norm for someone to serve in that way. It kind of goes against what my family would expect. But what if I fail? Or what about the lie of not enough, that old chestnut? If you don't understand, I'm busy. I haven't got enough time to do that. Or my career just isn't quite where I want it to be. When I get to that level in my career, then I'll do it, God. Or what about money? I just haven't got enough money to be able to do that. You know, I just can't. I'm not in that place. And that's definitely one that I have struggled with over the years, Uh, I'm a single mum. I've been on my own with my son since uh, he was like four weeks old. He's now 16. Um, And money's tight. Like time and money was tight. And there was a period around nine years ago. uh, We'd just been been back a year in the church. had been Christian about three years. And God was really speaking to me about walking by faith and not by sight. 
You see, my, the situation around me had been so dire at times. It would have been so easy just to focus on that and not listen to the call that God had in my life. Walking by faith and not by sight meant so much to me. I literally had it tattooed on my foot to walk by faith as a reminder to myself that I had, that is what God was calling me to do. So I'd just come to Vineyard. Um, I was working two jobs at the time and I was doing a degree in the evenings, which was going to take me six years part-time. Crazy. Um, but that's what I did. Uh, time and money were definitely, I was poor on both accounts. And I felt like God saying, I'm calling you into ministry. And I was like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Don't know about that, God. Anyway, with discussion with Richard at the time, looking at the discipleship year, and that meant giving up two days a week to come and serve for the church. In my head, I'm thinking that's two days a week, paid, paid work to come and work for the church for free. God, are you mad? And I felt like God saying, do you trust me? I was like, okay, God, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. And do you know what? I did it. My family and friends, I love you. You all thought I'm mad. There's many times in my life where people think I'm mad. That's okay. But I did it. And do you know what? God blessed me in the most incredible ways. He strengthened my faith. He strengthened my trust. He strengthened my obedience to him. It was such a blessing. And then God showed up in the most practical ways as well, financially and with provision. I seriously don't know where some of the time came from for me to write those essays. I still don't know. But they got done and we did it. So don't live under the lie of not enough because not enough doesn't exist in the kingdom. What about incompatible life stage? Oh, you don't get it, Heather. I'm too young to do that. It's a lie. You're not too young. I'm too old to do that. I should let someone younger do it. Rubbish. I've met some amazing people that are well into their 70s who are still starting ministries. They're just so inspiring. Should I be really real with you? Some of my two favourites that I have lived under those lies and where I can still struggle. Oh, you see, I'm single. Wouldn't it be better, God, if I had a husband and then we could do that together? Wouldn't that be a better way, God? I don't think I could do it on my own. Or what about, oh, I'm a woman. I don't think I can be used in that way in that ministry. What, they're not going to listen to me. And it's lies. You know, it can be a, quite a hard place being single in churches. And the enemy loves to get in there and tell you that you're not enough. But I'm going to say that Jesus completes you and he fulfills you. And he can use you so dangerously no matter what stage of life that you're in. And if you are single, then I want you to know that you are very much part of the family here. We see you, you belong, you are of value. And God can use you in the most incredible of ways and you are not lacking. So these are just some of the ways that we are asleep to God's call to live lives of dangerous faith. Maybe you have other ways of discounting yourself or maybe you've lived under lies of the enemy that are just not the truth then please, after the service, please come and get prayer and have those broken off you so you can move forward and move into what faith, living dangerously with God, can look like. It would also be wrong of me to be sharing some amazing testimonies of how God has used me dangerously in life and not share with you some of the other side of it as well. I've had many times in my life where I've not felt dangerous to a mosquito, let alone the devil. 
I've suffered with depression and anxiety on and off throughout my entire adult life. And I went through a period of last year where the doctors still aren't 100% sure what, what it was, whether it was a bit of long COVID and burnout. Uh, but I have a period of around six months where I completely shut down. I had three months where I couldn't even read. I couldn't read, I couldn't listen to worship music, I could hardly hold a conversation. And it was dire. And living dangerously for him looked like then, just holding on and walking by faith and not by sight of what I could see around me and holding on to the truth of who he was saying I was. Living dangerously for him just looked like back then getting up every morning and say, God, I love you and I trust you and knowing that he loved me. And that was enough. And if you were in that place, then I just encourage you to get a prayer. You know, just wait on the Lord and he will renew your strength. His promise is, is that he will never leave you or forsake you. And you are so dangerous to the devil. Just by the fact that you are not giving up and you are here or you are online, you are living dangerously for him. So please, please do get prayer. We'd love to pray for you. But now I'd like us to look at someone who I think showed dangerous faith. God awoke her from her comfortable existence and used her mightily for his glory. I would like us to turn to Judges chapter four and we're looking at the prophetess, the military leader, the one and only female judge, Deborah or Deborah. Deborah had many reasons why she could discount or disqualify herself or doubt her call. You see, in that time of history, it was, it was uncommon for a woman to be a leader in such a way. But God called her to a prominent position as a prophetess and judge at a time when he commonly only uh, brought men into that, to those positions. And I love Deborah as she is known for her courage, wisdom and faith in action and not because of her relationship to a man. More often than not, we can just refer to those stories or figures where women have been abused or associated to men, longing for a husband or a child. But there are so many stories when you start looking of these awesome, empowered women in the Bible, and we just need to be championing them more. So what's been happening? In chapter three, we read that Judge Ahad killed the king of Moab, and he proclaimed to Israel, follow me for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Under his leadership, Israel's army killed about 10,000 Moabites. As a result, Israel enjoyed 80 years of rest. But unfortunately, in chapter 4, we see that Ahad dies and the children of Israel begun to follow after false gods. So God gives them over to Jabin, king of Canaan, who oppresses them for 20 years. Israel was paralyzed by fear of Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, who boasted 900 iron chariots. You know, in those times, they were by foot, and these chariots would have been massive. They just would have plowed through hundreds of these men. But God, don't you just love it in the Bible when that happens? But God, what is he going to do? He awakens Deborah. So just please turn me, we're going to read chapter 4. After Ahad died, the Israelites once again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Commander of army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Haggadiah. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. 
Uh, I just want to pause there. The, the Hebrew for wife of is actually, is called Isha, and it's actually the same as woman of. And many scholars now actually say that the, the more correct translation is woman of the town of Lepidoth. And I just love that. I'm like, come on, single women. Could just do a little bit of Beyonce, but I'll... Um, I'll save my son's embarrassment, I won't. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Erephim, and the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from the Kadesh, and Niphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Nephtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, well, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, said Deborah, I'll go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honour will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where they summoned Zebulon and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Habar the Canaanite had left the other Canaanites and the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they, sold Sisera, when they told Sisera that Barak's son of Ebenoam had gone up Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Harasheth Hegagayim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men at Barak's advance. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariots and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hegagayim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. The passage though goes on to describe how Sisera is murdered by a woman named Jael, and the Israelites go on to defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And chapter five is a beautiful song or poem that's written by Deborah, which tells more about the final battle. But how do we see Deborah living out dangerous faith in this passage? In Deborah's song, she wrote that after the battle, she exclaims, awake, awake, Deborah. You know, God was calling her to come awake. She was awakened to the call that he had on her life. Deborah was not consumed by fear and of what was going on around her. Talk about walking by faith and not by sight. You know, she'd lived through 20 years of oppression. She didn't give in to fear. And when God called her to act, she did. And what's more, she called others into action too. In chapter 4, verse 9, it says, doesn't it? Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Well, come on, guys, let's go. Okay, it doesn't say that, but in my head it does. And we see in verses 8 to 9 that when she sends Barak to battle and he says he won't go unless she goes too, she doesn't flinch. She doesn't go, well, hang on a minute, for goodness sake, I don't want to go. She just goes, knowing that they're going to be facing an army with far better weaponry than them. Remember those 900 chariots? (sighs) Definitely not the easy path. What a courageous woman. The final verse of her song says that the land rested for 40 years. You know, her courageous life brought peace to her people. What an awesome gift and legacy. You see, God uses ordinary people like you and I to do extraordinary things, even when it would be so easy to discount or disqualify ourselves and go, God, you're someone else. 
or believe the lies that prevent us from stepping out into all that he has for us. So what can we do? How can we live lives like Deborah? Number one, dangerous faith is utterly dependent on God, not independent from him. This is so, so key. You know, Deborah heard from God and then acted. She didn't go along, oh, this is what I think I should do. She heard from God and then acted. You know, are we seeking him first? Are we listening to him above all the other noise? Because I can tell you there are going to be a lot of people that go, have you not seen what's going on here? You're mad. You're crazy. You can't do that. You need to be drowning those voices out by being with Jesus. All that we do must flow from that place of being with him before we do for him. That's where our heart change happens. That's where he fills us up. That's where we hear from him. You know, get prayer. Are there lies that you are living under? Are there things that need breaking off? Things that you have believed that have discounted you from living dangerous for him? Confess those areas you find hard to give him. Those areas that you might not want to give up. Maybe it is your career goals. Maybe it is your time. Maybe it is your money. I don't know. But ask the Holy Spirit for help. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Number two, Deborah was obedient to God's call. Maybe God is calling you to go somewhere or to do something. Then despite your fears, listen to his call. You know, God doesn't leave us just to kind of work out what he wants us to do for him ourselves. Instead, he will often put an increased desire in our hearts for something. And then if you pay attention, you'll see God put those opportunities to serve him in that way in front of you. Philippians 12, 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And I've definitely seen that over the last few years in my life. But it often isn't until we have hindsight and we look back. So I was reflecting on this and a lot of what I'm going through at the moment, I was looking back and I'm like, Lord, you have been doing this for many years. So a few years ago, I said, you're going to laugh, I started to get obsessed. I started to get obsessed with prisons. It's not not your normal thing that you would get obsessed with. I understand that. But once you realise that my role at the care centre, we do do a lot of work with Hatfield probation. That's quite normal. And I actually live somewhere that's quite near prison. So it wouldn't be uncommon that I would go and walk and, and do prayer walking around there. But then it started to get a little bit weird. All I wanted to do was start watching films about prisons. Like my favourite films like Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, like all the classics, the amazing, you know. Then it went on to documentaries, like the world's toughest prisons. Became obsessed. I was like, what is this? What is going on? Still couldn't work it out. If I'm honest, it wasn't until 2020 when the pandemic hit and everything went online. And I found myself one evening um, going through Instagram and I started following all these different prison ministries in America and prison alpha. This stuff just kept like popping out at me. And I found myself on a prison alpha conference Zoom. And I was like, okay, cool, I can log on. That looks interesting. I went on and I spent the entire night bawling my eyes out, hearing testimonies of how Jesus was transforming lives inside the prison. 
I was absolutely hooked. I was like, wow, Lord, this is awesome. Maybe God wants me to run an alpha. No, Heather, that was not it. I was like, well, maybe I can go pray for the prison. Yeah, I'll go do that. So I started prayer walking. If I'm honest, I didn't quite like the walk where the prison was, but really felt like God was calling me to go up there. So I started going up there and I thought, I don't really know how to be praying. I'm not really sure of what the situation is. So I started emailing the prison. Um, had their chaplain email back and we started this beautiful conversation between the two of us. If I'm honest, I started thinking, well, I haven't got, I am at my max. I have not got time to start doing anything more, whether it's in a prison or what it is, like I am at my wit's end. Maybe it'll just be praying. At that time also, God started speaking to me about digging into his word more and maybe doing something like a theology degree or a graduate diploma. I was like trying to work this out in my head thinking, God, you've got it wrong. I'm called to St. Albans Vineyard and I'm not going. And, you know, that is that. I haven't got time for this. But he kept laying something on my heart. Anyway, cut a long story short, there were so many barriers. I wanted to go and meet this prison chaplain and every opportunity, the door just kept closing. I was like, okay, maybe I've heard you wrong, Lord. Fast forward to this spring, we were at the Vineyard National Leaders Gathering and I was there, I was like, this is amazing, we're all back in the building, we've had a couple of years online. God was on my case. You know that feeling when you really want chips or there's chocolate in the kitchen and you're like, oh my gosh, it's calling me and I've got to go and eat it. No? Yeah, good. It's not just me. (laughs) Danny, you get it with chips, seriously. Um, It was like that, but it was like, got to get in the prison. Got to get in the prison. Got to get in the prison. I was like, God, I'm in Nottingham. I can't get in the prison. And anyway, I've tried to get meetings and it's not happening. Got to get in the prison. Got to get in the prison. The last day, Mark and I were in a seminar together and he was kind of twitching in his chair and he turned around to me and he went, what is God laying on your heart? And I went, Mark, I've got to get in the prison. (laughs) He was like, what? (laughs) Oh, bless him, Mark. You're not very shockable, but you did look shocked that day. Um, And I started sharing with him what God was doing, how I didn't have a clue how this was fit, reiterating I'm pretty done. Remember the where I'd been last year of burnout? I'm still not 100% recovered, if I'm completely honest. Brain capacity, still not there. I'm like, I don't know what it looks like. Got home and I felt like God say, I want you to go and pray and worship around the prison for seven days. And like the walls of Jericho, you will see those walls come down. Those barriers will come down. I was like, yes, bring it on, Lord. So, praying and worshipping for seven days around the prison. Honestly, the security footage is going to be hilarious. There's me <laughs> praying and worshipping. I bet they thought, my gosh, what is this crazy woman doing? Is she going to stampede or throw drugs in on something? <laughs> so there I was. One of the days my son cycled up to me and he was like, Mum, I can hear you right down the end of the field. I was like, don't care. I don't care. These walls are going to come down. God showed me these most amazing visions of these guys praying and worshipping, giving glory to God. I could see men being prayed for and being healed and these lies being broken off them and then being transformed into a new creation. And I was like, yes, Lord, you're going to do it. Eighth day came, nothing, nothing. And if I'm honest, I felt completely deflated. I was like, oh, see nothing. As the day went on, no email, no invite in. And I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I didn't pray so well on one of the days and that didn't count. So if I do it another day, 
that will make up for it. So I went out on the eighth evening, and I'm going to be honest, in a real huff. <laughs> and I sat on this log, and I was like, <laughs> I've been doing this for seven days, and they all think I'm a new, you know, what did I look like praying and worshipping around here? And God said, Heather, it was the walls around your heart that needed to come down. I was like, whoa. And God started to show me of all the ways that when he was speaking to me and laying these things on my heart, I was going, oh, but God, I'm called to St. Albans. I don't want to leave. Like, this doesn't make sense. I haven't got enough time. I can't do this, Lord. Oh, are they gonna, what are they going to think with a woman going in a men's prison? You know, what are other people going to think? I know what they're all going to say. And God just said, are you going to do what your foot says? Are you going to walk by faith and not by sight? And are you going to trust me? And in that moment, I was thinking, God, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm choosing to trust you in each step. I'll be obedient to the call that you have given me. And then a few days later, I have an invite into the prison and I go in and I meet with a chaplain and I have the privilege of meeting all these guys, some of whom have just come to know Jesus by the most remarkable ways in their cells. And they are just preaching the gospel to anyone that were here. That was it. I came out and I was like, I've got to get back in, I've got to get back in. <laughs> uh, so I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. But um, with part of my role as Compassion and Justice Pastor here at the Vineyard Church, I am going to be starting doing a few hours a week in the prison. And I don't know what it looks like. I'm also doing a graduate diploma in Kingdom Theology. It literally happened. I was like, God, put it all together at lastminute.com. Um, and I'm going to be a volunteer chaplain in training. And I can tell you now the devil is going to know my name in that place. <laughs> I can tell you now. <laughs> so just be obedient to those little clues, because I can tell you, I, I was not. It's only by looking back and I'm like, oh, that's what that was about. That makes sense now. And lastly, dangerous faith requires courage not the past of least resistance. You know, Deborah acted out dangerous faith. She is known as a courageous woman. It would have been so much easier for her to stay and reside from under her trees, counselling the community and ruling there. Quite a cushy little number. But she, without a flinch, leaves to go into army to battle. You know, Mark often tells us, doesn't he, that God calls the, uh, calls the he don't, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And I find that such a comfort. God will give you all that you need and he will be with you in every step, no matter how hard it gets. I get it though, courage takes strength and it isn't always our first reaction. But in Deuteronomy 31.6, which is echoed in Joshua 1.9, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You need to write that out and you need to stick it on your mirror and because that is the truth. You know, we need to be staring it in the face sometimes because the world around us will tell us everything to the contrary. Just lean on his word. Be bold and courageous for his glory. And as I invite the band up, I'd like you guys just to stand.